All right, so we'll get into it. So um, with me, I've got Dr. Jonathan Katz, who's a licensed psychologist and founding partner of High Performance Associates, which is um, a specialized team of performance coaches whose mission is to enhance and maximize the performance of individuals and teams. And actually at Bearable Traders, uh, he works with the Bearable Trading community as a performance psychologist. So uh, Dr. Katz, it's great to have you with me this afternoon. Good to be here, Peter. Nice yeah. to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. And um, we have, uh, we've had the chance to meet, uh, well, at least once before. We met in New York just That's before true. the world went crazy. And we realized that coronavirus was going to like shut almost everything down. Yeah, we got that weekend in. It was a great time uh, meeting all the key folks at, at Bear Bull Traders. And it was a great weekend. I have family back east in New York, which is where I was originally born and raised so it was a it was a great weekend and yes uh, the world changed soon after yeah i know i mean i left that and uh went uh went back home and uh was concerned you know only a couple weeks later thinking oh my goodness am i now a carrier uh, with with new york being the epicenter so you know definitely thoughts and prayers go out to everybody in new york because they are suffering a lot hopefully they're over the worst of it now but uh still right. it's uh it's tough. It's tough. We've got a couple of our team members who are there, and uh, it's uh, they're on full lockdown and have been for a yeah. while. Yeah, absolutely. But let's talk trading and trading psychology. Um, but before, I, I, there's something interesting I wanted to start with because one of the things, uh, Doctor Katz, in your bio, I noticed that you're a runner and a marathoner. In fact, a high performing marathoner, I would say, as you uh, you certainly run apparently a lot faster than I do. But um, I've noticed that, like in our room, uh, I used to do adventure races, which were these seven by twenty-four races, where basically you just beat the heck out of yourself with the team, and and uh, and it was it was a lot of fun, and I loved doing it. I noticed that uh, in our trade room we've got Norm as a moderator, who used to be a skydiver. Andrew is a long distance runner. Is there something with like high adrenaline activities that attacks uh, attracts traders, or is it trading that attracts? You know, high adrenaline. Um, I think there is a connection. You know, when I started, um, I've been an athlete my whole life, but when I started working uh, in the finance world about 15, 16 years ago, um, part of the appeal is I did a lot of work with amateur collegiate and professional athletes and teams, which I, which I still do. And there's a certain commonality I found in the financial world. You see a lot of people who are uh, former athletes, mm -hmm. uh, high school collegiate athletes, I think the kind of the high performance model, the outcome oriented model, the kind of more competitive type A personality styles, there are personality characteristics that are often very similar in the trading and athletic world. So I, 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 I'm not surprised to hear that a lot of folks um, that is part of their uh, serious hobby is something on the athletic front or they've had an athletic history. Yeah, I know a lot of the prop trading firms, uh, I don't know if they still do, but they used to target athletes uh, as, you know, when they're recruiting because they had some of that discipline and that drive and the A-type personality. I've heard different schools of thought on that, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, um, it does seem to be prevalent anyways. Yeah, I, I think it's probably more common than in the general population and mm. other professions, that similarity. I don't think it's a, a necessary criteria, but it's not an uncommon one. Right. So I'm just curious on the running front. We'll we'll, we'll yes. talk about trading in a second, but sure. what's the most grueling race you've ever run? So it's an interesting story. Um, I went to graduate school to get my PhD at a very young age, um, uh, like when I was 22, and it was a little overwhelming. Um, I had run college cross country. I walked on at college after not 
making the tennis team. That's a long story, but uh, I decided to train for a marathon. This was many, many years ago, back in the late 70s, um, when when I entered um, graduate school, because I kind of felt like I needed to take on something that was as overwhelming academically, uh, <laughs> athletically, as, as well, academically. Right. Um, so um, I started running a lot of marathons and in, in, I was in graduate school in St. Louis and I, I kind of got into a group of, of marathon runners um, just by chance meeting every day in, in uh, Forest Park, which is the big park in St. Louis, much like a Central Park in New York, um, where we would meet and run. It just happened to be very high quality traders, I mean, uh, uh, runners. And so I started my marathon career there. Uh, soon after, a year into that, um, uh, one of the guys said, hey, listen, are you interested, or a couple of years later, interested in training for this 50-mile race? Uh, it seemed crazy and overwhelming, but I was starting to write my dissertation, which was crazy and overwhelming on the academic front. So I said, what the heck, I'll, I'll, I'll go do that, uh, and I'll try. And uh, we were training for a kind of a 50-mile race in Chicago, but to answer your question, long-winded way, um, about a month or so before the race, uh, we were going to run a 40-mile training run, our longest training run. <laughs> 40 so miles is a training friends, run. I love one it. One of our friends' uh, wives, basically, this was before GPS and everything. We had our basic, you know, Casio uh, watches with a stopwatch. Right. Right. We got in his car. She, we knew the route we wanted to go. She put her odometer at zero. She drove out the route we went. When it hit 40 miles, she slammed on her brakes. <laughs> we got out of the car. You know, this was before there was goos and gels and we, you know, we had some money and hopefully we would stop at a roadside store and, and get a like a lemonade or something. And uh, we ran that 40 miles. This was around the beginning of September. And what I remember getting back to uh, the local town in St. Louis where this guy lived called Clayton, Missouri, right where Washington University is, we passed two banks uh, in the old days where the banks outside had the temperature and the time and one bank said 100 degrees and the other bank said 101. And that 40 mile training run finishing in 100 degree heat might have been, even though that was the early part of my ultra uh, and marathoning career, that might have been the most difficult training run race that I've ever experienced due to wow. that heat. Wow. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I, I can't I, I can't imagine running that far nonstop. I've never done right. that. Marathons <laughs> long enough. Doing two of them back to back, basically. That's uh, that's insanity. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. So you've spent your career. I mean, you're an athlete yourself and you've spent your career coaching athletes and traders in, in how to better manage their craft, we'll say. Um, I'm just curious. This is a little lighthearted question, but who do you think is moodier? Athletes or traders? <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting thing. Um, historically, when I've worked in the financial world, um, traders, you know, tend to just as a whole, um, maybe just from a kind of more academic background, tend to be smarter, intellectually, more academically oriented. Mm. Um, but sometimes because of that, they feel they're not necessarily as insightful on an emotional, psychological level. So sometimes it has, there's been some uh, resistance because their level of awareness of the role of psychological, emotional variables right. um, is not, um, is, they, they, they minimize it. 
So very often they don't take into account that. Uh, athletes, um, there's kind of, uh, kind of often it gets a, a, sometimes a greater awareness of that, but very often feeling that the physical characteristics just take over for performance. Right. Um, so one is not moodier. Um, it, it's, it's, it, it's great variability. There's certain similar characteristics um, but one of the things that historically has been some uh, his, in the past was sometimes not a um, kind of a self-reflective awareness style uh, that led to sometimes an exploration of the role of psychology or psychological variables in high performance. That has been changing over the last bunch of years right. as people become more, especially men, more evolved. Right. And, and actually, you, you bring up something that I wanted to ask you about that, you know, we focus a lot, especially as beginning traders, you tend to focus a lot on, um, you know, the, the technology you need to implement, the, the strategies and tools you're going to use to implement those strategies. So a lot of stuff on the mechanics, but we don't really, it seems to me that we don't focus a lot on the psychology, which underpins everything that we do. Um, I, I guess um, what, you know, it, it, if you had so this, this gets yeah. to the exact point. Like, so when I first started working with athletes, I right. mean, I felt that, and the same thing is true with traders, that athletes, especially early on, spend a disproportionate, understandably, amount of time on the physical, technical, and strategic aspect of their sport. Right. And invariably, as they move up the ladder and the competition becomes greater, what separates the top tier from the next tier is more of the mental skills, the emotional, psychological variables, and how you can use mental skills to maximize your physical talents. Right. The same, so, thing, is, the same thing is true with traders. Right. Traders start out, like you said, there's a lot of technical, kind of more intellectual, uh, educational aspects of learning trading. Right. But then that there's often then this, this come to Jesus moment for a lot of people <laughs> when there's the recognition that the emotional psychological bear, uh, variables play a big role in how you maximize those other more technical skills on the trading front. Right, so if you're a new trader, um, or what recommendation would you have for a new trader starting out? That like what maybe two things should they focus on psychologically as they're getting going on the journey so they can maybe you know start on the right foot? Well, this is where for new traders, I think, um, first of all, just a general awareness that your emotions and your psychology and emo and, and those variables um, are important mm. and normal factors <laughs> in your trading. I think one of the things that's very helpful for, for young traders or traders early on in their trading career is by journaling, when uh, they're journaling their trades and writing down things and what was successful or not, is almost to have separate columns not only for the technical PL, positive, negative aspects of what's going on with their trades, more of the technical and specific details of their trades, both right. in terms of um, shares or, or position size or what, um, and PL, but as well as tracking their kind of psychological, emotional reactions, <clears throat> how they've handled uh, the ups and the downs, what I call the emotional volatility you know, associated with trading. Right. Because with the P&L volatility comes a great deal of emotional volatility and how traders handle that and manage that um, has a great impact on the overall success and longevity uh, of, of, of the trading career. That's a great suggestion, yeah.
I, I have long advocated journaling, I think is extremely important. You can't learn from what you've done unless you journal it. And it also gives you a natural introspective point where you can then think of sort of think about what you've done, right? Good or bad, what did I learn from that trade? How was I feeling in the moment to your point, right? What was my psychology, my yeah. psychological makeup, as well as you know, did I did I take the right entry? Did I manage my risk well? Did you know? Did I see a proper technical setup? All of that stuff I think should be part of your journal. So I love and that why point. that's so important is because let's take two extremes. Right. Sometimes you could have a very good day P and L wise, but you know, just it doesn't. Let's say you made X. Right. If you really look deep into what you did. It, you might have been able to make 2x or 3x, and it may have been some other variables that you weren't handling well from the emotional psychological point of view. Right. There also may be other days where you've lost money, but you may have made the proper trades when you've gone over. So your, your psychology could have contributed to your not losing even more money. So it's, it's sometimes the P&L masks uh, kind of more of the emotional pro and con, good and bad of how you've handled the trading that day. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and to bring in a personal example for me today, it was funny because this afternoon I found trading difficult. The markets uh, were moving, right. but they were a little choppy. And uh, having had the experience, and frankly, uh, Dr. Katz, having listened to some of the great seminars that you've given our team, um, uh, you know, so like the psychology seminars, I was looking at my trades and said, you know what, I had three trades in a row that were losers. But when I looked back on them, they, they they were technically sound. They just happened to be losers, and unfortunately, there happened to be three in a row. But the you know I know now from experience before that would have devastated me, right? It would have driven me crazy. Right. Yes. But now I'm able to sit back a little bit and say, you know what? I'm okay. They're technically sound. They were good trades. They just didn't work out. The law of numbers tells me that I know right numerically. Um, right now, about sixty five percent of my trades will work out. That's not a bad average. But, you know, when you hit three in a row, you know, it, it sometimes you start questioning everything, right? You question your trading. No, and... absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. If you think about, like, from an athletic point of view, a baseball player right. who, who's, like, swinging at good pitches, right. making good contact, but is 0 for 4 in a game because he's hit four line drives that right. have been caught. Now, that player will feel lousy that they didn't get a hit that game. But if they're truly reflective and non-judgmental, they will recognize that their process and their discipline was really good, that they only swung at good pitches, made good contact. Yes, they were unfortunate that the, the balls got caught, but if they continue to do those things, the likelihood is that they're gonna meet success. So the same thing like what you said with the trading, right. that if you continue to follow your process, make good trading decisions with you know reasonable size and risk, that over time, that's what's gonna lead to a profitable trading career. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So good. Well, I appreciate that. Um, now, in curious, so we talked about beginning traders and, and the focus on that and the journal of trades. As people get more experience, um, you know, is there is there a different area of psychology you think they should start to focus on? Like, does it change or do you just keep well, doing Well, here's what things? happens. Here's what happens sometimes. And it's sometimes very subtle and nuanced. So when you ask about that transition, what I found is New traders, okay, let's say you're a starting trader and now you've seen over a period of time 
you've been able, maybe trading small size, but you've been able to make good, consistent trading decisions. Right. So now you feel like, okay, not that I got this, but things are going in a, in a good way. Always dangerous to you, think you've got it, right? True. That's when things go wrong. <laughs> right. And now I want to become more profitable. Right. So the natural inclination is, okay, how do I start trading with more size? Now, more size has its own, um, because now you're pushing yourself maybe from a financial point of view out of your comfort zone a little. So there's a certain managing discomfort right. um, and the emotional volatility that goes with greater P&L swings is something you need to anticipate. But more importantly, this is often what I've seen with um, traders early on in their career when they've started to make that shift. Hmm. So now they say, okay, I'm gonna now start trading in terms of going from X size to 2X. Right. And now they're so focused on wanting to trade with more size that sometimes unconsciously, they're not as disciplined in picking trades of as high conviction level. And so they start, because they're so focused on getting in bigger size, that they start picking trades that are lower quality trades unconsciously, right. and now they're in twice the size, and now you have the worst confluence of events right. because you increase the likelihood of a losing trade at more at double the risk. Yeah. So yeah. I think in the beginning, traders have to be very careful that they do not give up. That mentally, they stay true to the discipline associated with the quality of the trade, and then incrementally build up on the size, which also helps them not become too emotionally overwhelmed with putting more money at risk. Right. Now, it's interesting you say that and you use the example of, you know, so you're, you're, you're increasing your size and you would double it. I always tell people, you know, when you're starting to increase your size, you should go using your example, you go from X to like to 1.2 exactly 1.2 yeah, yeah. or 1.3 and and it right. reason the reason is is exactly what you're saying it's the psychology why you want to increase slowly it seems to me most people can manage like an extra 20 percent doesn't feel like that big of a deal compared to doubling your size in theory you should be able to execute your trades the same way whether you went from one to five x but the reality is you're right we start taking what at least I know in my case, I start taking what I believe are lower risk trades, but they end up being lower quality trades. And yeah, and you know, when I work with traders individually, uh, I find that, you know, based on people's individual personalities, how they're wired, their risk taking um, comfort, you know, some are able to go from one from X to two X. Right. Some need to go, you know, very small incrementally. There's no right or wrong way because yeah. You know, the danger people sometimes can handle the swings better, both financially and emotionally. And it really it has to fit what your own needs are. I think you need to err on the side of being more conservative and going more incrementally just because when you go out of the gates and you try to increase your size. Of course, it's easier if you do that and you hit three or four winning trades before a loser. <laughs> right. But it's, you know, what I'm always fearful of is that you have the trader who starts increasing size. They lose two trades at a bigger size. And before you know it, they're at home, you know, in bed under the covers, uh, <laughs> scared to come out. Right. So, um, you know, that's the danger of, 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 of doing too much, too big, too soon.
Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate it. And that's good advice. In fact, I've been there, unfortunately, more times than I like to admit. And your, your seminar last week about uh, under trading, right? I, I have this that uh, helps me with that aspect because you said some things that it was like you were talking right to me. Uh, people right. like to, to joke, uh, make fun of me because in my trading room attached to my monitor, I've got these signs that say, take the damn trade because <laughs> yeah. sometimes yeah. I'll be there. I'll have the setup. I'm ready to go. But it's the it's the fear of losing. It's that risk, no matter what the size of the trade is, that sometimes sits me on the sidelines. When the reality is, those are the times when I probably most likely should take the trade because they're the ones that tend to work the best. Yeah, and to understand that psychologically, you know, when you put, whenever we put ourselves out there, right? You said the fear of losing. You could be wrong. So right. in the moment, it's always easy to take the path of least resistance because if you don't take the trade. Right. then you can't be wrong. There, there's no, at the moment, it doesn't feel uncomfortable. Now, right. of course, you know, if you're constantly never taking the trade, then you better, <laughs> you know, never, you better be driving the big rigs or picking some other profession because you can't make a living, you know, trading if you don't trade. Right. So, um, but this helps to understand why in the moment, it's very easy for people to unconsciously rationalize or justify why they shouldn't take a trade that really more intellectually and rationally they have prepared for and is a good trade. Yeah, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I said, unfortunately, I resemble that remark more than I'd like to admit most <laughs> days. So, um, so to that end, then, like uh, when you talk about having the right habits, so that you take the trade, or you know, people are on the other end of the spectrum where they tend to overtrade. But are there any common habits you find, like psychology habits or psychological habits, so that people develop? who are consistently successful? Like in your working with them, have you noticed common traits? Well, yeah, but one of the things that I often have highlighted for people, because I think people tend to minimize this, I found this again in the athletic front. Um, mm. uh, it started out with, uh, if you look at athletes, um, you know, they're, from a physical point of view, uh, before a game or a match or whatever, they have a very ritualized, routinized uh, preparation of, of how they warm up. I mean, right. it's very common. It's almost the same all the time. And there's a certain discipline and process and preparation. But when I started working with athletes, I would ask them, say, hey, you, you go through all this physical stuff. What's your mental preparation? Right. What's your mental routine before the game? And they would like look at me like, well, uh, no, I don't really have one. Yeah, I listen to a little music. Or... And so I've done this with traders. So most traders can tell you if you ask them, like, so the hour or so before the market opens, what do you do? And, you know, look at charts, read this, you know, all all traders have their own. There's no exact way to do it best. But every trader has kind of their own routine. But when I've asked them, so what is your mental routine to get ready for the trading day? Very often they've not done any mental preparation. Right. So I think adding um, a mental routine to your pre trading day uh, preparation is hugely important. And that might be. Um, some general mental reminders that are pertinent to the individual trader uh, in terms of their own personality style or the ways that they might um, kind of have to have trouble dealing with certain circumstances. Uh, and it, then it also might be very specific. So, for instance, say you've had a horrible day the day before. Right. You know, the tendency sometimes going into the next trading day, and this varies personality wise, sometimes people get a little more revenge trading so they become too actively trading uh and they want to make all the money back so that they're over trading on less quality trades so if you have a tendency to do that your mental reminder should be be very careful be patient slow down be a little more disciplined 
And if you're on the opposite opposite side, which is after a bad day, sometimes people get very passive and tentative in trading and kind of are playing off their back foot, then you then you might be actually let me just while I'm saying that put in my headphones because my AirPods are dying. Oh, oh. can't have that. All right. But you got your headphones. So you're you're good. good. You're good to go now. Excellent. Um, but yeah, you were talking about the, uh, uh, I guess the habits that, that people can have good habits, like if you have a bad day and then you want to come back and not over trade or under trade, like you're saying, like I do, I get very tentative in my trades. Right. So you want some mental reminders there about, listen, you know, just knowing yourself, you just be careful about kind of being too hesitant and too passive kind of mental encouragements. Um, just as a way of becoming um, more aware of patterns that you have from the more emotional psychological aspect, you know, that could either benefit or hurt your trading. So I think adding a mental, a morning mental routine pre-trading day uh, is can be very constructive. Right. Okay. Now, you make me think uh, of something in that, you know, one of the things that I've noticed when I started getting into a routine myself as a trader, and I've traded full time for a little over three years now, um, and I traded for 20, 25 years, but when I started day trading, I found it's different because you're at the desk every day, you end up developing consistent routines. And I realized that I started looking for very consistent routines and I had myself convinced that when I followed X routine, the day would be better than if I didn't or or followed Y routine. So, and it made me think all the time of things like athletes that will, you know, they got to wear their lucky underwear if they want to win or the, you know, in the NHL, it was always about the beards. Nobody would shave during the playoffs because you'd swear you'd lose a game. I find traders, you know, we all tend to fall to these superstitious habits. You know, are, are those problematic or are they just part of the game? Well, here's what I would say. I would say, you know, uh, um, and you're right, athletes and traders can be much like this. It, there's a fine line between uh, a superstition and a routine. Right. Um, you know, some, you know, uh, like if you look at Rafael Nadal, the tennis player, I mean, he is, uh, you know, obsessive with how he puts his water bottles down, where he keeps them, how many sips he takes here and there. Now, those are routinized things for him that bring him some comfort in terms of how he performs. If you, you know, uh, if you look at in baseball, like uh, there were players who would never step on the white lines. Well, that's clearly a superstition. Nobody's going to justify if I step on the white line, something bad is going to happen. But routines um, can be helpful in that they provide some sense of comfort Hmm. through thick or thin. I mean, this is the advantage of process and having a plan and a regular routine is that regardless of whether the markets are crazy or quiet, regardless of whether you've had four hours of sleep or eight, or whether you've traded well the day before or not, there's always something to come back to that provides some comfort in how you prepare and how you go about your business. And it could be very grounding. Um, So like for me, even just to give you an example in a non-trading front, I've been a long distance runner, like I said, for a long time, we live in a world of uncertainty now, like even getting out for my morning run is just even so much more important now right. because it provides me a level of comfort to start my day that feels very secure. It's healthy and good and makes me feel good, but it provides some stability in a world of uncertainty. So this is why people's routines, superstitions, if they don't get too out of hand, are, are kind of constructive for people in, a, in a, giving them a grounded feeling of comfort and okay. calm. 
Okay, so the fact that I have to turn my monitors on in a certain order, I'm okay then. It's not going to... Yeah, right. It's not, it's not <laughs> causing you. You know, if you said to me, I mean, you know, you said to me, I have to, you know, eat three eggs every day, cook this way. You know, I may say it's a little rigid and your cholesterol might go up. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, so there are certain things that are not problematic. Right. Um, you know, athletes, you see it all the time, how they put on their uniforms the exact same way. These things are not getting in the way of any kind of productive endeavor. So no harm, no foul. Right. All right. Well, that's good to know, at least. So, um, you know, one of the things that I've seen over my trading career is that uh, there's a huge benefit in having someone you can work with as a coach, right? Whether it's a professional right. or even just a, another trader who you can talk with. Or a with. mentor. Yeah. Right. Or a mentor or somebody whom you can bounce ideas off of, who understands what you're going through. Um, but trading is actually a fairly solitary endeavor for, for the most part. And you don't always have access to that person, especially these days, although technology is there for us. Um, how, how would you recommend somebody help be their own coach? Like, what can you do to coach yourself? Um, so I think, listen, there are a lot of, you know, my colleague and friend, uh, Dr. Brett Steenberger, has written a bunch of psychology and coaching books. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's always good from an educational point of view to read. And he has some wonderful books out there. So I yeah. would greatly encourage traders to go out there and read Got those books to become a, a little more aware of how you become your own coach and the kinds of things. But I, I would say that especially, you know, like a community like Bear Bull Traders, where there's a lot of people in the community, as much as you can reach out and talk to people, just like you said, it is a very solitary activity. So I think being able to share thoughts, feelings, uh, ideas, uh, good and bad with other people is hugely important. But I think actually the more open and honest and insightful one could become about one's strengths and weaknesses, um, both from a trading technical point of view as well as an emotional psychological point of view, that also helps because mm. I think self-awareness um, and kind of, uh, kind of an honesty uh, always helps in terms of the process of getting better at what you do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I was just looking. I know I've got uh, Dr. Brett's books, and uh, I think I keep them by my bedside, so they're always there when I need when <laughs> yeah. I want to read them before I go to sleep. So I didn't right. have them here. But to, yeah, to what you were just saying, I, I I agree that that honesty is important, and it's it's uh, is especially important for traders because we spend so much time for you know retail traders, those of us that work at home, because we right. don't have. You know, an office-based coaching system where people who are monitoring our trades remotely and on top of us. And you know, if you can't be honest with yourself, who, who's going to be honest with you about how it's working? And that's why I'd come back to the journaling we talked about, I would say is so important because that's a way you can be honest sort of after the fact, right? In the moment, you obviously thought it was a good trade or you wouldn't have taken it. But after the fact, you can look and say, well, wait a second, what, what, what was I thinking? Because now I look at it, that was not a great idea. And what people are likely to see, both from a technical kind of more trading perspective as well as an emotional psychological perspective, right. is when you have enough data points and days of trading and, tra and journal reviews, you are going to see patterns. Yeah. You are going to see, hey, I generally have a good feel for these types of setups and trades. Right. Hey, I struggle on these. So you're going to see like strengths and weaknesses. And you're also going to see similar patterns like I seem to handle when I'm down money during the day of kind of increasing my focus and concentration and really locking in on making good trading decisions. 
But at the same time, I notice if I had a, I've had a good day, I get a little loose in my process, kind of getting a little chesty, a little full of myself, and I start taking bad trades later in the day when I'm up. And these are just two examples of the more information you, you write down and have, the more you're going to see patterns that emerge, uh, which are different from all of us in, in many different ways. But as you see patterns, it gives you insight and awareness. And then the next step in psychology, we always say, you know, insight, you know, doesn't necessarily lead to behavior change, but it's hard to change something in ourselves if we don't have an awareness about what we're doing. Yeah, you have to you have to acknowledge the problem before you can yes. fix it, right? Yeah. So, yes, yes. And it's funny you say it because mine was uh, uh, one of the key things I got out of my journaling was almost the opposite of what you mentioned in that I desperately wanted to be a good trader at the open because it's exciting and it's heady and things are moving and there's ton of action. And I realized through my journal that my most consistent period is actually after the open when I have time to look at more um, thorough setups. I need more processing time, bottom line. I am not good at a momentum-based reaction trade, even though I wanted to be desperately. And it took me a while to come to that realization that as much as I may want to trade in that fashion, that's not my path to success because I just am not that, I don't know what you say, like that quick of a thinker. It's tough to yeah, admit that to yourself. a lot of people want that, Peter, because it's yeah. very interesting because just think of it just from a trading day. Oh, man, if that first trade, I get off the mark being up, right. I can feel good about myself. I can go into the day, have a little swagger, right. little confidence. You know, that feels really good. It's very hard, but the best traders, you'll see it. It's like, so how did you do today? I was flat. But they get down big early and they just, you know, grind their way back and they trade their butt off and they stay committed to the process. Right. They may be exhausted at the end of the day, but it might be a day where they're flat. But it might be just a just a really solid, great trading day because they really worked hard to get out of a hole that they formed for themselves early on. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good, good, good point. And you're right. That's uh, I'm always impressed with those that can do that, because frankly, once I get down, I rarely make it back <laughs> so well this is this is well, actually this is a good point because uh this is this is again not, not, not a common thing in with athletes there are some athletes when they get down i used to have a tennis guy that i used to play uh, i played pretty competitive tennis and i remember he was a good tennis player right. but he had one big flaw was that if he got down early he was done right and i would just bust my chops to get up on him early right so hard those first three games of the, that tennis match because if i could get up you know three love on him I felt he was going to go away. Right. And so, you know, there are certain traders who play, who trade well more from out front, and there are certain traders who play from behind. And you just have to become aware of yourself because really right. the best traders over time are able to manage both sides of that equation. Yeah, yeah, great, great point. Yeah, knowing yourself is key in that. Yeah. So, one last question that I wanted to ask you because we, we talk a lot about um, different elements of, of you know, sorry, different things that you can do in trading, and meditation comes up all the time. And there seems to be differing opinion on do you actually need to meditate? Like, how useful do you think that is for a trader? So, here's the thing there are a lot of things that I think are important that go on for a trader's life. I mean, I've been a big proponent of this even back in the day when it wasn't common knowledge. I mean, I think, you know, how much sleep we get, mm. the food, how we eat, our nutrition, our hydration, our alcohol consumption, all of these kind of more lifestyle factors uh, play a huge role in trading. If you're like, um, had too much to drink, or you've had three hours of sleep, or 
there, you know, it's very hard to come in fully equipped. It, it's mm. trading, you know, uh, is a very difficult test. Not everybody and their mothers can do this. This right. is uh, a very difficult thing, even under the best conditions. So it's very hard not to be fully um, kind of there and be in, in, in kind of proper condition, both mentally and physically. I think meditation can be helpful for people as a way of clearing their minds and getting people to focus uh, on the kind of aspects of what they want to concentrate on that trading day. Right. Uh, for some people, that could be part of their pre-trading day mental routine. It could be part of the end of the day thing. I, I, there are many ways that people can go about things that I think are helpful. For some people, meditation is enormously helpful to get them kind of more grounded and focused. I do think that that's very important. I think continuity and consistency of doing that is important. But it's not an absolute necessity. Some people can just lock in and kind of just get themselves mentally prepared for the trading day kind of without kind of a more formalized meditation plan. Right. So but do so yeah. I, I hear you say do it if it's valuable to you, but your overall balancing your lifestyle is probably more important than, than yes, else. overall. And that becomes yeah. a common goal. There's certain things out of our control. If you have kids and they're up all night with an illness like <laughs> and you had a lousy night's sleep. To yeah. me, it's not like bemoaning that fact you just need to be very careful when you're trading the next day because your level of fatigue is going to be there so you may need more concentration and focus and you need to be very careful about your trading because you may not be as locked in because you're you know you're you're fatigued if for some reason like you know you, you your body you know you had been sick or something and now you're coming in not feeling that great the same kind of thing so to me um you try to take as many care of as many of um you know, uh, things within your control, uh, knowing that there are other things, external things that are going to happen, especially the markets are not things that people can control. So they're going to have to manage them. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, look, that's probably a great place to leave it. So Dr. Katz, thank you so much for spending time with me. And on behalf of the community, thanks for spending all the time you do with us, because I know your teachings are very helpful. And uh, we look forward to sharing our conversation with the Bear Bull Trading Team. Okay, Peter, thank you very much for yeah. having me. Take Have care. A good day. Yeah, you too. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.